some people will stumble or will discover their purpose when they ask themselves, what am I here on this earth for? That's a pretty lofty, high altitude inquiry. And so for others, I would coach them to ask, where do I find that I'm most energized? What excites me the most? When do I feel that I'm in the flow, right? A whole other group will come into the inquiry of purpose through the discovery of how can I best serve the situations I'm in? My point here is you can come into purpose using different pathways. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your business. This is Aviv, and in today's episode, I bring you a conversation that Harry Duran, the host of Podcast Junkies, conducted with me. Harry is the CEO of Fullcast, his own company, and his team produces these Create New Futures conversations. And so it was natural to say yes when Harry suggested that I come on his show. In this dialogue, Harry asked me about what shaped my journey, and I reflected on the value proposition that guides my work, why I started podcasting, and what the third big bang and the drive to propagate consciousness has to do with it. I offer a framework to differentiate below-the-line conversations, and then four above-the-line conversation levels and why we must strive to conversation level three and four, where we exchange wisdom and insights. Harry then naturally asks about the fifth dimension, and I reflected on the power of frameworks and how I practice architecture of listening and learning. As often happens when I get excited in a conversation, I sometimes swallow my own words in the rush to get to the next idea and the next thought. That does happen often. Um, Still, this is a rich exploration and we covered many topics, including several ideas I've never before discussed in the public domain. Here then is the conversation with Harry Duran. So Aviv Shahar, host of Create New Futures, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Pleased to be here. Great to be with you. So Aviv, this is some, something new for Podcast Junkies because um, regular listeners will know that I have a company called Fullcast. You are the first uh, client that I've worked with that actually, that's actually on the show. You would think there would be a lot of synergies uh, in the past, but I think, uh, I think it was a function of you asking and me wondering why I've waited so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, I, I've been a, a fan of your show uh, from the help we're, we're providing, and I, I've found a lot of very good wisdom in your solo episodes. So for the benefit of the listener, do you want to talk about the format you decided to go with when you, when you launched? Uh, sure. I thought you were actually going to ask me first, why am I doing a podcast since I have a thriving consulting practice? Why on earth launch a, a podcast uh, show? We'll get to that. Uh, so the format we are following is one where we alternate and there are 
conversations, I engage clients, thought leaders, interesting people, people who demonstrate success in their space. And we alternate these with solo episodes where I share some of my thoughts and um, IP and the wisdom that I want to bring to the world. So uh, that's a bit of uh, how we have landed in terms of, our, of the format. Do you have a reaction from friends when you, when you toss around terms like thought leader and IP? I know, <laughs> I know in circles that we run and it's, it's very common, but occasionally I'll get a roll of the eyes from someone who's just like, you know, that's, that's a lot of jargon. Intellectual property is an important uh, element of many businesses. Certainly the, the large companies that, that I help, they have their intellectual property. And I had to become acutely aware that I bring to the table my intellectual property. And, and when I sign uh, on those projects with them to retain, to make sure that I retain my IP, my intellectual property. So I'm attuned to that. Thought leadership is an important uh, construct in many other senses. I, you know, people have said to me that I am a category of one. Some people said to me that I am the best kept uh, secret uh, west of the Mississippi, which partly is, is what led to um, my book, uh, writing my book, Create New Futures. So you know, it goes with the territory and with the space that, that I operate in. Um, to, to be uh, explicit, what I meant by category of one. So in the work that I do, I bring to the table three value propositions packaged inside a fourth value proposition. Okay, so I'm your strategy and innovation expert. So people will call me to help shape the strategy and innovation process. I have deep roots and background in organizational health, organizational effectiveness, and how do you help leadership teams function at the highest possible level? So that's proposition, uh, uh, value proposition number two. And I'm also your trusted advisor, CEO, trusted advisor, and executive coach. And I package these three inside a fourth value proposition, which is that I design and choreograph and deliver transformational experiences. So I'm happy for you to uh, take me to task and challenge me on, on any of those words. They are not uh, jargonian, so to speak, if there is such a yeah. word. Uh, they actually have a, a deep meaning and, and context inside my work. So you mentioned, you alluded to the book, Create New Futures. Talk to me about the ideas uh, when, when the podcast was launched why it was important for you to continue the themes you brought up in the book and not maybe make another podcast on another topic where you were just going to interview people? Um, why, why it was important for you to, to continue that, that branding of Create New Futures? Right. So, so there is a personal answer and there is a metaphysical answer. <laughs> we want both. <laughs> you want both. Okay. So I'll give you first, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you first uh, the, the personal uh, answer and then the metaphysical. Well, so after the, the book got published, Paul Adams connected you and I, and essentially, I wanted to also put an audio version of the book on Audible. Mm -hmm. And somebody was kind enough many years ago to say to me when I was just starting this, this work uh, after we relocated to, to the US, somebody was kind enough to say to me, you have to overcome your insecurity about your imperfect grammar and accent. This is America. We are charmed by accent. 
And if you have an accent, apart from the fact that everybody has an accent, if you have an accent, we believe you know something that we don't. Whether that was true or not, it was the exact encouragement I needed years ago. In many ways, deciding to record Create New Futures with my own voice, with your help, you professionalized the, the recording, essentially. The natural next step was to bring more of my voice, not in the written format, but also in the speaking voice. And, and I've always had the, the idea that one day I'll have a radio show. Uh, these days we call them podcast. There you go. And, and it was your fault because you said, look, it's easy. I'll show you how to do it. I'm going to hold you in the hand uh, through the, the earlier steps. So uh, the rest is history. We, we've been doing this now for a year and a half or so. So it's been fun. That's the personal reason. Yeah, it's a personal Yeah, we need, Now we need the metaphysical. <laughs> well, the short version of the metaphysical answer is that I, I believe we are now in experiencing the acceleration of the third Big Bang. And I wanted to uh, make my contribution. And this is one way to make the contribution. So now I need to obviously explain what I just said. The first Big Bang is, is, the, is the original Big Bang. It's is the manifestation of the material universe where the, the release of extraordinary energy potential unleashed and liberated, if you like, the, the material and the physical and, and the, the energy universe. The second Big Bang, millions of years later, is the appearance of organic life, okay? And the, the appearance of all forms of lives especially when you think about it in terms of all forms of, of flora, fauna, and the crowning achievement of organic life, which is human life. And the third big bang, the third explosion, is the, ex the evolution of consciousness. If you ask yourself, so, okay, what is the power or the currency that, that propels each of those three major explosions and evolutionary traces? You could say the first original Big Bang is propelled by, by energy, by pure power, by dark energy. We now know that dark energy is about three-quarter of the universe and is what propels not only the expansion of the universe, but the acceleration of the expansion of the universe. Then you come to think about, so what is the propelling power of the second Big Bang, the explosion of life and all forms of life. And it's the impulse of life. It's the procreative impulse in short sex. <laughs> so you could say that the second Big Bang is driven by sex. It's an important commentary because <laughs> we're living now in an oversexed world. And part of the idea is that we all catch up to, hey, we are now engaged in the third Big Bang, and we've got to channel some of the energy to that third Big Bang, which is about the propagation of consciousness, and specifically conscious consciousness. Okay, we're talking about sapient sapiens, by which we mean the idea that we are aware of our awareness, we are conscious to our consciousness. You then ask yourself, so what's the currency, what's the propulsion of that third explosion, the, the evolution of consciousness, it's conversation. Now, if, because you know the, the material that I share in Creating Futures, I translate that two or three levels down into more of the concrete 
work that I do in the, in the corporate space, because I'm, I'm a mystic flying under the corporate radar <laughs> as a consultant. And there is a question that I share at the beginning of the book where I say, what is, I ask leaders, what is your highest point of leverage? We play the riddle game. And yeah. what I then share is the idea that the currency of leadership and the highest point of leverage of, of a leader is that you get to shape the conversation agenda. But back to, to this point, podcast is just one extraordinary way to be part of the conversation. And when you look, Harry, through these lens, the insight is that the internet is not, was not just a revolutionary technology. We really ought to look at the internet from a higher altitude and imagine and recognize that what we're looking at is a technological platform that is serving and enabling the third Big Bang, the explosion of consciousness where it essentially released or liberated each one of us to become content creator. So. When you and I are now having a conversation, I know I'm having a bit of a long run, but that's, you know me that that's the way I am when I have the, the yeah, opportunity. Okay. <laughs> uh, when you and I are having a conversation, think about it, it in metaphoric terms or in real terms, that one brain cell or one cell in the mind of the universe, that's you, is conversing with another cell in the mind of the universe, that's me. And all cells inside the mind of the universe want to have a conversation with another cell. And, that, and, and that's why the podcast revolution or movement that you've been involved with and, and are plugged heavily into that fast-growing community is, is happening at this time. So I don't know if you were interested in me giving you a theological framework or a theological context to your passion and, and business, but I just did. <laughs> and, no, and, it's helpful, and and I think it's interesting because, as regular listeners will will understand, I think it's important for you the way you've contextualized the importance of conversation lends itself very well to what we're doing with as podcasters and as listeners who are podcasters and who are thinking of starting their own show. I think it's important them to realize that what they're doing has a, a broader impact than just you know ranting about what's what's on top of their minds and i think there's always different viewpoints uh and, and i love the, your your take on it because i think it makes people think differently about the importance of, of what we're doing and, and not to take conversations lightly well exactly so so there is one caveat to what i'm saying which is that that is true in other words we do add and augment and join the the co-creative act of that third big bang when our conversations are meaningful, when we have what I call at least conversation level three and or level four. This is a setup question because you're supposed to ask me <laughs> what, is, what is conversation level three and level yeah. four. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're about to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well, first of all, my point is that not every conversation really adds meaning and adds to the propagation of consciousness. And in, in my framework, you have below-the-line conversations. Below-the-line conversations are, well, conversations that lead to more conflict, more strife, more misunderstanding, and in some cases to violence. They are not part of the framework of the conversations that enable broader and more enlightened consciousness. 
So now we're looking at above the line, and I, I generally look at, at four categories. I, I think the, the first, what I call level one, are conversations where essentially we exchange data, okay, reference points. And, but the problem there is that a lot of people exchange data and, the, they, and then they do nothing with that data. Either they, there is nothing to do with the data that was shared or they don't know what to do with it. And which is why I propose that we ought to be looking as, as the floor of our dialogues to at least aim to conversation level two. And conversation level two is no longer just an exchange of data, it's an exchange of knowledge. And knowledge is created when we connect the data points, when we begin to weave a picture that emerges out of the data. Ideally, we, we seek to explore at least beyond that and go to level three and, and level four. This, the third level of conversations are wisdom conversations. So if knowledge is the ability to connect data points and weave a picture, then wisdom will be generated when we look at successive and we begin to tell a story of the patterns that emerge in those unfolding stories through the various slices of, of the picture that we are looking at. And those are the most meaningful and most engaging conversations. And sometimes those conversations squeeze the level four, which are insights. And insights, mm. the distinction I make about insights, so sometimes people like to say actionable insights which in my framework is a redundancy, but it's still okay because if it is not actionable, it is not insight. The idea of the word insight in the way I use it in my work is that if we captured an insight, if we, we were able to reflect on something that happened to you, to me, and we were able to distill learning because we practiced the discipline of debrief, the, the discipline I was trained into uh, and was drilled into me in, in my Air Force years and, and practice, then the whole point of harvesting learning and or distilling the insight from the patterns that we discovered is that we are then able to immediately implement a new action, a new movement as a result. So when we are able to create conversations that enable us and people that engage with us, create knowledge, co-create and liberate wisdom and unleash insights, we are contributing to the propagation of consciousness and we are participants in the third Big Bang. Is, is there a fifth? Yes. The fifth is not so much a fifth level, but it's the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension is what I, how I define intelligence. So intelligence is the velocity of the metabolic process that enables you, enables you to convert data into knowledge, knowledge into wisdom, and wisdom into insight to the degree that we are increasing our intelligence. We go through this cycle faster, more complete, and we make sure that we include the implementation phase of the insight and the learning that comes out of that. So intelligence is the capacity to turn data into knowledge, knowledge into wisdom, and wisdom 
into insights that are then actionable, actioned, and produce results. Yeah, this is great because I think what it, what it does is it gives people a framework and allows them to, to think about the types of conversations they have on a regular basis and where in this scale they land. And I, I love the fact that it's an, an ascension ladder as well because you, you can look, look to improve if you're only having conversations uh, that are at the level of knowledge. If you want to get continue to get better, and, and I look at myself as an example, I want to be a better interviewer. I want to have better conversations with people. So I'm, I'm trying to move from wisdom into insights and into that 5D level, which sounds like uh, really where the, the ultimate goal. Indeed. And a huge big part of my work I have discovered is actually creating frameworks. In Create New Futures, I share many frameworks and I, and I specifically make the point that as a consultant, as a, as a coach, as a trusted advisor, what I have found to be very powerful is how I am able to bring frameworks into the conversation that essentially accelerate that convergence. So I use frameworks to make us more intelligent in our dialogues. If you said to me, so what does it look like in real life? It has two different expressions. One expression in the work I do with teams when I'm, say, on the ground with a senior executive team and we, we are in the two or three day strategy or innovation workshop. So the, there is a whole set of frameworks that we implement in the moment and also are built in the design of the workshop, such as the Three Horizons and variety of other frameworks. The, the way it is, the way it manifests in a more spontaneous, emergent way in my trusted advisory one-on-one -on -one work with, with CEOs and, and senior executives is so here is a typical coaching trusted advisory conversation. We will get on the phone or, or on the Skype or on Zoom or any other tool we use or a Squadcast. <laughs> Shout out uh, to, to the tool we're using today. I will often say, so what's top of mind? What, what's on today? And there may be five or even 10 minutes of download of variety of things. And I have practiced the capacity of listening to such a download at a multiple, multiple altitudes. So I hear the flow of the conversations and at the same time, I am able to create an architecture of meaning that I listen to through the conversations. So often, five minutes later or nine minutes later in the conversation, I'll be saying to, to the CEO I'm, I'm working with, well, so here is what I've heard. I've heard five buckets of issues and I'll name each of the five and I'll delineate the two or three subtopics in each of the five and I'll then come back and say, so where in which of the five do you have the highest energy at the moment? And that way we navigate the conversation. So if you, if you try to imagine that process, I bring back to the client heightened awareness or consciousness about the consciousness he just shared with or she just shared with me. And that way we elevate the perspective, the precision, the focus, the clarity of that conversation. You just changed the, the angle of, of the um, screen because you were right. You really look like for a minute, you look like the like you were the basket of creation, the core of creation. You were right in the middle of the <laughs> I, rays I, I on your like face. I, I, I thought that was engineered. Yeah, very impressive. 
Yeah, for the benefit of the listener, it's uh, I've got I happen to have moved the the curtain from my window, so I get these angelic rays of light shining down on my face as Aviv is talking about these really, really evolutionary concepts. So it's very apropos. <laughs> when did you start to have you know? Is it a collection of teachers? I'm always curious about the the origin story. Of like, when do these ideas you know come to mind, and and you realize that this was something that was going to be part of your life's work? Every question in every interview and in every conversation is a, like what I call a crossroad moment. You now frame the question and I'm, I'm stealing a minute to think, where do I? <laughs> because I could choose to, to tell the story from five different departure points. Mm-hmm. And one way is to tell the story, trace it back to my upbringing. And really the fact that if you said to me, what is the first dominant ethos or influence that shaped who you are and and why you bring that somewhat philosophical, somewhat spiritual, somewhat developmental bent to your work, I'd say it goes right back to childhood. You've got to consider the the following fact. My parents, especially my father, is the the generation that escaped Europe Mm -hmm. during uh, the Second World War. So my father's parents and three of his brothers and sisters were murdered in Auschwitz. Wow. So he is showing up in Israel as a young man. And what do they do this generation? They have seen the horrors that beyond almost any beyond anything else that can be compared to. So so they now need to recreate, regenerate a reason for living and recreate and regenerate hope. Because now that they have survived, it's no longer sufficient to just go on surviving, to just go on living. So, so he was part of that societal section in the Israeli society in, in the founding of the nation, uh, 48 and, and beyond, 1948 and beyond, that essentially looked to build a new society, build a new community, ultimately at the highest level, build a new man. And that was partly the belief and the the passion that brought to life the kibbutzim movement. I was born and raised in a kibbutz. And you can't say that it was a commune and and hope that an American audience will understand what that means because that sounds awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what it actually was, was an industrial, agricultural, thriving community that was essentially central to the founding of Israel because it, they build those kibbutzim for plural all around the, the country, uh, all around the, the borders of the country, and they were driven mm-hmm. by passion. And so that is the, the context, the societal, the background, the context I'm, I was born into, including the fact that I was tremendous, uh, a tr- tremendous amount of freedom in the outdoors. So it was in the ether. It was in the air for me to look to find. Uh, I'd say that's influence one. Mm-hmm. And the second influence is that when I was eight, I was um, diagnosed with not a very severe, but a mild heart condition. And the family doctor asked me to go with, said I should, I should go and see a specialist. And I remember with my father going to see the speci- specialist. And as we concluded that visit, 
<clears throat> he essentially communicated to my father that was before doctors knew they needed to actually create rapport with children that what he said I perceived in the in the child mind as a, as a death verdict. He essentially said that I shouldn't exert myself when this was the time as an eight-year-old, all I cared for was running outside, playing soccer, and swimming. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the bus ride back home and I turned to my father and I said, you know, that's not going to be, I'm going to run, I'm going to run free. And the rest is history, but I essentially, I believe I healed my condition by pushing my own envelope. And I, I don't think I was, I was clearly not conscious to it at the time, but it, my search and inquiry into that sense of beyondness and, and the discovery of the human potential and what is it that, that's latent in the power of the mind and the creative power of, of us as human beings, all that can be traced to those early formative experiences, th- those two uh, key influences uh, earlier in life. Did you notice that the way you were you handled the news and your your reaction to that was markedly different than your friends who you know did not receive news like that and you know lived life you know, what was perceived to be a normal life at the time i don't know that i was conscious to it at the time i do know that what i i physically and energetically experienced was when i turned to my father and said this what i just told you that i said to him I felt a welling up in my chest. This is a unique, profound, energetic experience that I'll come to experience again later in life that I I have later, years later, when I started to do the work I was to do later, codified under the, the name or with the name, the spirit of defiance. I, I believe the spirit of defiance was born in that early formative experience. Mm-hmm. And I've had later moments in life where I was faced with tremendous challenge, tremendous opposition, tremendous difficulty, and I felt that same spirit of defiance rising and essentially powering me through enormous obstacles. It's interesting because once you have that feeling, if it's subsequently activated again, you immediately recognize it for what it is, as opposed to not understanding like what, what's happening in the moment. That is correct. And, but then if you continue the development journey, you discover another very important insight, which is you shouldn't be using and keep creating, recreating for yourself the same situations where you need to use the same muscles. So mm. I have discovered, I've written and talked about it in one of the recent Create New Futures episode that I've discovered at, at somewhere midpoint of my life that I tended to, and I say I tended to recreate scenarios where my back was to the wall. And I specifically mm-hmm. say that even though at, during those times, I didn't feel that I created it, the circumstances around me conspired to create that challenging, sometimes desperate scenario. I say I created to frame specific language where I take responsibility to my experiences, including to those experiences that at that time did not appear to be of my own creation, because what I wanted to do was to transform and release 
I'm going to use a specific term here, the mm-hmm. karmic pattern. What I have discovered in my observation of life and of, with the people that I've worked with, we often, well, category one would be people that never actually learn from their experiences and, and therefore they, if you like, bang their head straight in the wall time and again in the mm-hmm. same way. Category two, they do learn from their experience, so the circumstances change, but the karmic pattern recreates itself, repeats itself. So in my case, put yourself in a very difficult situation, and that will unleash for you tremendous creativity and innovation. It'll be wonderful because you will completely reinvent yourself. Hallelujah. Great. (laughs) And my development project and tasking to myself in the mid and late 40s was, okay, nice, you've proven to yourself that you can do it. Can you now create for yourself a developmental journey where you will release that karmic pattern? And instead of needing to create scarcity to unleash creativity and innovation, can you unleash the next wave of creativity and innovation from a place of abundance? not needing Mm -hmm. to be desperate, but actually from a place where you have have the walkaway power, you can say, no, I don't want to do that. Essentially, pivot from having one path forward, a path that looked like a very narrow path, a very narrow bridge, to creating for yourself a situation where you always have multiple options, multiple scenarios, and you get to choose which of these you will pursue and will follow. And by doing so, you will release the the historic, the legacy karmic pattern. That's a development that unless you're very conscious and deliberate and and wanting to pursue, and you're not likely to, to be asking yourself that question. But then the project of my entire adult life has been the developmental journey. What are the mechanics of that journey? And then as soon as I was able, how can I help facilitate that same journey to to individuals, to leaders, to CEOs, to teams, and in the business context, how can we help companies accelerate their development in both the strategic, the innovation sense, and at the same time as human beings that are seeking to operate at a higher level of functionality. When you say that we should be asking ourselves that question, or not aware that we should be asking yourself the question, is it simply a matter of, am I coming from a place of abundance or a place of scarcity? So, so yes and yes and yes. <laughs> because you can come into this inquiry through different pathways. I'll answer first a different question. And then answer that question. Th- there was a long period in, uh, of time when I worked with senior leaders and, and with teams. And my work was at that time focused on leadership, leadership development and top talent. And there was a piece in that work where individuals in the group, in the team, would be led into the discovery of, of their core passion and, and their passionate purpose. And what are, one of the discoveries of that period of work in, on my journey was that different people need different pathways into the discovery of purpose. I'll give you an example to, to make it concrete. Some people will stumble or will discover their purpose when they ask themselves, what am I here on this earth for? That's a pretty lofty, high altitude inquiry. 
And so for others, I would coach them to ask, where do I find that I'm most energized? What excites me the most? When do I feel that I'm in the flow, right? A whole other group will come into the inquiry of purpose through the the discovery of how can I best serve the situations I'm in? My point here is you can come into purpose using different pathways. You now asked me about the developmental journey and what is it that propels you as an individual or every other person listening to our conversation to the development journey. So luck would just have it that I'm actually working and, and completed the work on one of the next episodes of Create New Futures, where I, which I believe is going to be titled Journey into Mastery. And I describe mm-hmm. the three-legged journey into mastery. And I make the, the, the point that different needs, different imperatives, different inquiries can lead you into, <clears throat> into that journey. So, Harry, some people will simply recognize that they tend to recreate the same challenge, the same pain point, the same dysfunction. And they are, they've reached a point that are so miserable that they want to do something about it. I propose that you don't have to just use pain and misery and stress as the driver. That sometimes, for many people, it's the most powerful driver. It, it's a cortisol yeah. stimulated behavior. That's all they know. Exactly. That's the point. But then at a different altitude or a different stage in, on your journey, you could simply ask, how can I be more effective? How can I bring more of my talent to the table? What's a way for me to to free up and unleash more of my genius in the service of the people I work with so that I'm enabling and releasing, liberating their genius? So these inquiries will stimulate and will unleash a a whole different spectrum of, of development. As you engage with these kind of inquiries, there is then the inquiry within the inquiry of, of what am I learning about how am I working? And what am I learning about how I am learning best? And what am I learning about why I sometimes am able to follow through on, on my discoveries and in other situations, I am not able to follow through. All of those inquiries are central to the development journey. And when you recognize that this is my belief. I'm now explicitly stating a belief, which is that we are indeed in that third big bang, the explosion of consciousness, and the the arenas where that development process is emerging, is emergent, are the, first of all, the interior arena, which is how do I manage my own processes, my own emotions, energies, work processes? How am I showing up with my loved ones? Am I indeed the the best, most versatile, uh, most enabling, most supporting to the people in my life in the personal arena? And equally, how do I show up also then in the collective arena with the people I serve in, in my professional life? So the interior and the exterior, the individual and the collective, those are the arenas where we get to play in terms of our development theater. In, in one of my recent um, 
Create New Futures episode, I talked about the three jobs that we each have to engage in. And, and one of my suggestions in job three was you never, you never want to just do the job in terms of do job one, fulfill the, the work that you are assigned to do. You also want to do job two, which is transform the way work gets done, and then also engage with job three, which is evolve, grow, and transform yourself in and through the process. When you do engage with job three, work never feels like work because anywhere you show up is an opportunity for your own personal growth and personal evolution. And if that's a central driver for your life, then, hey, I get to do extraordinary things with teams and they, they pay me handsomely. And what do you know? I get to do my own development process through my work with others. So it's, it's, a, it's a triple or quadruple win. Can you talk about a relationship with uh, a mentor in your journey that, that's helped you in the formulation of these ideas? I see. So um, you didn't take my first avoiding of that search <laughs> inquiry before and you're reapproaching this. <laughs> this will need a whole other episode. Uh, maybe a 10 hours episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll do this in parts. We'll have you come back. Yeah. Here is, um, here is what I'll say. I'll say that, that I've had many mentors from the distance, people that Mm. are no longer with us, even from, uh, people that I've never met and people that uh, died before I was born. But I, but I did have uh, special mentors along the journey as well. One of my earlier uh, mentors was my long distance running coach. And then I had a uh, mentor during my high school. And where I went to high school, it was a circumstance where I could come to the school principal when I was um, in my 10th grade. And I announced that I was going to now spend most of the time by myself, outside the classroom, and I was going to design my curriculum and sit in the library and follow my own self-discovery uh, and self-study program. And, and I was uh, allowed to do so. I was supported at the time. It was um, probably unheard of in, in today's environment, but I was allowed to do so. So I spent the last uh, two years in, in the philosophy and sociology and psychology sections of the library, we're talking pre-internet times, reading and writing and being more in a, in a contemplative quest. And I made an oath with myself at the time, which was because I looked at the adults around me and most of what I've seen at the time, appealed to me like adult meant you have arrived somewhere. It was the final station. It was the final destination. And I didn't like what um, I saw. And so I made, when I was 16, 17, 18, I made that oath with myself, which is that I will never forget to remember what it felt like in terms of the, the preciousness and the aliveness and the vividness of the inquiry of that time. And I will remember to remember that sense uh, later into life. And I don't believe that I'm less passionate and less focused in my inquiry today. I'm probably more intense than I was back then. So in that sense, I, I delivered on my oath. And then 
when I went to the Air Force, because in Israel you, you had mandatory service, I have always known that my path will have to converge with some other kind of quest. And I felt that it, it will have to do with the mind. It will have to include something to do with, with body, with challenging myself in the physical sense. And maybe we'll have even it, in it some aspect of, of art, music, uh, or some aspect of that. And um, as I proceeded in my journey, I discovered much more. And to the continuation of that trajectory, we'll have to come back on another episode. Did you find that your time in the Air Force was in alignment or at times in, in conflict with what you had been learning about yourself? Yeah, great question. The um, simple and honest and transparent truth is that uh, I've had two lives in me at the same time. One life that was absolutely exhilarated mm -hmm. by the discovery of flight. I never thought I'd, I'd become a pilot was never part of my agenda. And I frankly thought they will kick me out of that course a uh, few weeks in because they will discover that I'm not a natural pilot, which I was not. But one thing led to another and um, they kept me in the program. And so part of me was discovering the beauty, the majestic beauty of flight, the power that was unleashed when you were flying a very fast machine, very expensive machine. And then there was another life in me that was questing for something else, was questing for meaning, was questing for purpose, was questing to understand why we humans are here on earth, why at the time life appeared to be so confusing. And that there was probably a very deep cry in me to express and find that path. And when I was released from the Air Force, I decided that I will live a reversed journey. Most people in their mid-20s essentially dive uh, head-on to the, the, especially at that time in some way, to the chase of success, the chase of money, the chase of progress in a career, the chase of power. And I follow on to the, the oath I made earlier. I ask these other questions. And I have determined and I promised to my wife that if I can answer the question of purpose, then the material question will answer itself later. It was a huge leap of faith, luck or judgment or perhaps divine intervention. Uh, it did work for me. So um, here we are on the other side of that uh, journey. And I'm still exploring and, and evolving every day, now from a place of abundance, now from a place of confidence now from a place that's free of the kind of inner torment that was probably uh, was a feature in my late 20s, early 30s. Lots of different directions we can go from here. I'm wondering how you've, uh, if you're just tying this back into the podcast, how the ability to have these conversations with your guests and then the ability to take some of the ideas in the book and, and expound on them in your solo episodes, has, has that been helpful for you in, in terms of how, in terms of a different way for you to tell your story? I'll answer it in, again in two ways by saying that 
I enjoy the conversations, period. I enjoy when I bring a client to a dialogue and, and I discover about them as in, a, in an episode that will soon be airing with a client that I've worked with over the last uh, three years. So I've, I've known before that they were just a special human being, somebody I appreciated tremendously, regardless of the fact that we are working together and that they rewarded me with very lucrative projects, regardless of all those elements, they were, I discovered that they were um, a wonderful human being and, and a fantastic leader. And then I discovered so much more through the dialogue. And there is something moving and inspiring and powerful when you are able to, with another person, trace their journey and perhaps even give back to them and mirror back to them the, the insight, the wisdom of their journey. And I, I find it to be an enriching experience. So, so that's the first element, which is that I simply enjoy that discovery journey. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in what, what is it that, that motivates and what is it that makes things happen for people and, and what makes them work in one way uh, rather than another way. And the, the second aspect of, of the podcast and the conversations is that I'm interested to codify language. Can you, can you break down what that means? I'm interested in to codify in language actionable insights, which is to, to offer frameworks, tools that others can listen to and say, I can do this right now. And you know, if on minute 17 or minute 37, there was something that was said, that resonated that they want to do, the appropriate thing to do is press pause and engage in the implementation action. You ought to do that, especially when you've been exposed to my 72-hour rule, which essentially says that in the in, at the incidence of learning, when you get that big bang explosion of a new insight, new learning, you are enjoying the 100% protein value of the learning. And then if you wait eight hours, it begins to dissipate. And within 72 hours, sometime before, sometime later, it dissipated below 51%, at which point the gravitational pull of habits and pressures and the urgent override the impetus of change that was available for, for learning. That's why also, Harry, my aspiration when I wrote Create New Futures, I'd never planned it for you to be reading it from cover to cover in one flow. I wanted you to be able to open the book at any page, read one or two pages, be inspired with an idea that you could implement there and then. And if you did that and nothing else, then I got my reward for having helped in one micro way your journey with a specific idea or insight you have implemented as a result of reading or hearing it on, on Audible. And so it's both. I enjoy the conversations. And I, I believe that one of the contributions I can make is, is shine light through the experiences of other people and lift from those experiences in codified language, frameworks, tools, insights that other would love to implement as well. Have you found that you've evolved as a, 
podcast host over the, since since the time the time you started the show? Yes, and yes, <laughs> uh, I'm becoming more liberated and and more at ease with the medium with your help because I have for a while played with uh, my own editing even before that on on audacity i'm highly tuned to my own speech defects right and i can i can elaborate on all, all my speech defects uh which i've now released to uh, for your team to work on and refine and and clean out uh and more importantly i've settled that i don't have to be perfect and 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 that's part of the beauty of of podcast i think the podcast medium is is more amenable for imperfection it, it's a free spontaneous when we make major er- errors you will cut those out and other than that it's life we are flowing live in the conversation and and that's part of the richness of it and if you didn't want to spend all that time with us that's all right. And if you decided to uh, press pause and come back to it later, that, that's all right too. So I, I think I'm, I continue to discover the, the freedom of the medium. And in terms of how do I choreograph the flow of the conversation, this is something that I've always been interested in. I, in I, I do think that when you're interviewing, you're essentially choreographing or composing a piece of music. Mm-hmm. So, like so like, for example, my interview episodes often begin with, I'll ask people, what are you working on right now? It's very deliberate because I want to engage with the currency of a person's work today. And only later will I trace back to childhood, upbringing, how did you uh, learn and evolve through your career? Why, why do I do that? Because I want to first bring into the, the dialogue the energy of the here and now what's most fresh and, and the latest for them. And there is also that observation that I, I reflected on in, in Create New Futures, which is if you look at how the, the medium of movies evolved, the same happened there. Back in the 70s, in the 80s, most movies followed a chronological storyline. And then all of a sudden, they started to play with this going back and forth the timeline. So you, you'd have the murder, like in the first 20 seconds of the movie. And then for the rest of the movie, we are playing back and forth on the timeline. And we, in essence, create something which is much more of an interesting story. My observation, by the way, of that change of the the, uh, medium of movies was that it reflected that we were going through that evolutionary process. We We were no longer captured by the chronology of a story, we were able to process through a story at multiple times, at multiple altitudes, at multiple traces, and we were becoming a lot more co-creative in telling the story and in making the story as we unfold the story, and that was how it expressed itself through the movie industry. One of my most favorite examples of that is the movie Memento, which... People who who haven't seen it, the summary is basically that the movie starts at the end and then works its way backwards, right? <laughs> scene by scene. <laughs> right. So I, I always like to tell I like to tell people I like to watch movies that make my head hurt, and and I think it just challenges me more. Or or when I watch a movie and then I immediately Google what was blank movie about. <laughs> there's some of these movies that I just I know that there's something else going on, and um, 
it work, I love a movie that just works on, on multiple levels. And I think that's just uh, a quirk in my, in, in my personality. I, I love to be challenged uh, when I watch movies as well. Well, I think you are by nature curious. And I think you are, the way I've, I've experienced you in our dialogues, you like to be concurrently exploring different spaces, different mediums, and different uh, trajectories and storylines. And what that makes um, is for a richer convergence points in in your commentary and in what you're able to do because you're able to to cross fertilize metaphors insights from different converging spaces so a couple uh we're close to the to the hour and and i know we could definitely go longer but uh <laughs> i like to, to to keep them about that time i think it's a, it's a good consumable chunk but i i get the sense that we've got uh some stuff that we've just scratch the surface of. So there's, there's definitely an opportunity for a future conversation. I have a, a couple of questions that I ask uh, at the end of each. Uh, the first one is, what's something you've changed your mind about recently? Well, <laughs> as you'll imagine, I'll answer that in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I think the listener knows by now to expect that as the response. My first answer is that, um, so what did I change my mind? That I don't so much go through life making or changing my mind about things. I prefer to go through life with inquiries. I explore the process of life. I explore the process of growth. I explore the process of um, development. I explore the, the meaning and the purpose of why we're here. I explore spirituality. I explore the how do we produce results. So I, I prefer to show up with set of questions rather than with set of opinions that I've made my mind about. And specifically because in, in my framework, the mind is a portal. It's a portal to possibilities and opportunities. And so what I've discovered is that I'm better off with creating space mm -hmm. rather than showing up with crowded point of views that I've made my mind about. and only when there is a concrete need that I need to solve to or a problem that I need to address will I then look to, to respond. And, and when, that, when I'm faced with a challenge or, a, or an opportunity, unless it is an emergency situation that necessitates an immediate reaction response, I will often first ask a question, which is what is the best way to approach a problem like this? Or what is the best way to approach an opportunity like that? So as an example, on a, on a recent episode, we, I discussed the idea that I was asked a question about the conundrum and the dilemma of integrity. And somebody was asking a question about a situation that, in which they felt that they needed to choose how to react and that they did not want to compromise their integrity. And so my response was, well, let's think about integrity and even broader way, what is integrity? And I then framed the five levels of integrity and because the important was to make the distinction of being true to your word is one level of integrity, but being true to your potential and being true to the need of the situation, each of those represent different level of integrity. In many situations, I propose that integrity for you or for, for me would be negotiating the different lines of integrity situationally. I just demonstrated th that principle. So uh, I find that I'm better off showing up with open mind. That said, I, I owe you, at least in my second answer, the following, which is 
I think I expanded my mind a lot. I don't know if I changed my mind. Um, I, I expanded my mind. So 15 years ago, when I used to run one large corporate project, strategic project, I felt that it was all-consuming. And then a few years later, I discovered that I could do two projects concurrently. I'm now engaged with seven complex, large-scale projects that not only expanded my mind, that literally blown my mind to pieces. Uh, even five years ago, I could not envision being able to do this capacity-wise. So I suppose in, in that sense, I've changed my mind because <laughs> I've blown it to pieces. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You've literally and, changed it, yeah. And reconfigured it. But, but, but my, main, my main message there is I, I think we are better off, I know we are better off showing up open-minded. I try to be open-minded and, and discover how I need to be in the situation I'm in rather than needing to make up my mind and then change it. I, I really like that approach. I, I like the, this idea of asking yourself, what's the best way to approach a problem like this? Because I, I think just the the thought, the energy of asking that type of question, it, it, you know, and people already know how woo-woo I am on this podcast, so they're not going to be surprised. But I think it just opens up to the universe that you're, you're willing and able to receive an answer that may be something you hadn't thought about previously. Well, and to double uh, down on what you said there, a good 80 or 90, in some cases 99%, but whatever the case is individually would be different. A good majority of the issues we each grapple with are what I would often categorize as, as second or third principle issues. And like, how should I respond in a situation? Mm -hmm. It's a second principle issue. The first principle issue is what is an effective way to respond to challenge? Or what would be an effective way to address the issue of integrity? Or another episode we recently recorded and, and published was around what we called the measures of a life well lived. Well, I was asked the question, how do I feel about my journey to this point? And I said, I, I don't even know how to answer that question before I answer another question, which is a first principle framing, which is what are the measures of a life well lived? So once I was able to articulate that for myself, it is easier for me to find how I choose to respond to that. You're absolutely right. I go through life attempting to framework my way through it. And it may sound to somebody listening she is living such a complex life. It's actually the other way around. I live a much simpler life because the clearer you become about the first principle issues of life and humanity and morality and ethics and principles and relationship and challenge and conflict, the more, the clearer you are about those in the um, first principle dimensions of them, the easier it becomes to address them situationally per the need. I think you may have uh, caused me to adjust my final round questions. I think I'm going to re reframe it as, what have you expanded your mind about recently? <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, do you use that going forward? Then you'll, you'll get full credit for that. And that will be a gratifying thing because so one of the measures of a life that, that I alluded to in, in that was, I think I framed it at the time as measure five, was the contribution pivot, which is the conviction, the desire to be able to contribute to any situation. So when you show up in a room 
do you experience the room? It, will the people around experience the room brighter because you came in? Maybe on, in one situation, I was only able to move the chair a little bit so the room is tidier. Maybe that's all the contribution I could make, but perhaps I could engage in the conversation. Similarly, if I was able to contribute a refinement of one of your traditional questions, then I made you and your next episodes just a 1% better. That made my day. I have a ripple effect in future conversations. Wonderful. I think that's a, that's a nice bow. I think uh, <laughs> you were, were going to ask me a second. You're going to ask me a second closing question. What was that? You know, it's interesting because sometimes I debate because it feels like we just had a, a really nice closure on this topic. But uh, the, the second question is, um, what's the most misunderstood thing about you? 25 years ago, I met somebody and interacted and, and had this conversation. And he was at the time extremely successful. He had his own TV show, a syndicated fishing show. I'd, I'd Lost contact. I don't know if he is still in that space. I and I asked him what was his secret for success, and the essence of his answer was, you know, I have always done what I have loved to do, and I've always done what I did well. And then, fifteen or twenty years later, I turn around and I discover that I was a great success. But in actuality, I've always done the same, and as I did what I did, I refined my skill and refined my mastery. And in some ways, that could also be said now about me in my space. The most misunderstood element about me is some of the people that perhaps even know me for many years would think that what I get to do and that it comes easy to me, that it's natural, that, you know, I turn around and I do it like that. And it's simply not true. I work hard and iteratively in refining the the work that I do. And, and also, uh, because by nature, I enjoy my work with people, but I'm introvert and I get to replenish and regenerate and do my discovery and formulation, both when I work with people, but, but a significant amount also when I'm on my own. So if I'm with the team and we are somewhere in a resort and our session begins at 8 a.m., I will typically be in the meeting room at seven because I want to make sure that everything is, is set up correctly. And that means I need to get up at probably at 5 a.m. because I need a good 90 minute to get in the zone to be able to do the work I need to do with that team so that in the end of the two and a half days, somebody turns around and says, uh, we probably been able to generate agreements and decisions that otherwise would take us six weeks or six months in the last two and a half days. And the reason we were able to do so was because of the intentional and purposeful space you've held for us, end of quote, just from an event a month ago. And so I work hard to make sure that I don't dilute the quality, that I'm present, and that I never uh, fly on autopilot. And that requires tremendous amount of work. So uh, perhaps the, the misunderstood element is how much work goes into the work that I do. As expected, another fantastic answer. So thank you for the bit of the prodding to, to get that one out of me as well. So that, that's, I appreciate that. I'm really honored that we had this conversation. It's been really enjoyable working with you for this these past must have been probably a year and a half, two years now. And uh, I've learned a lot along the way I, through the process of listening to 
your episodes. Uh, I've, I've appreciated our, our previous conversations and our friendship. And I think uh, I, I can expect just good things for both of us going forward. So I thank you for taking the time. Well, before you uh, stop the recording, uh, I should probably say that my guess is I have been your most difficult client. <laughs> no, not, actually not by a long shot. Uh, and uh, what I've enjoyed about your handholding and your service is, first of all, your kindness and who you are as a human being. And you have taken me step by step through the process. So it, it's been fun. And I anticipate uh, and am looking forward to uh, the journey ahead. Likewise. So where's the best, best place for folks to track you down and, and, and get a hold of the show? Create New Futures is the name of the book. They can find it on Amazon. Create New Futures is the name of the podcast show. They can find it everywhere that you uh, propagate it. And certainly on uh, my site, avivconsulting.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter by the same name, Aviv Consulting. And uh, looking forward to uh, reaching out and being in conversation with more of your followers, people that are fans of your show. Thanks again for the time. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. So thanks again to Aviv for sharing his wisdom on this show. I think there's a lot of nuggets in there that you would appreciate. I hope you were listening very closely because he's a very smart guy and and I love the way he presents ideas. Um, it's, it's, he does it in a way that's very approachable and in a way that makes you feel like um, you're, you're really learning some information presented in a new and interesting way, which I really find fascinating. So again, full show notes, our summary, our timestamps, our our tweetables from the show, podcastjunkies.com forward slash 176. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Check out his fantastic productions at cedarsoil.com. Tune in next week for my conversation with Craig Price, host of Reality Check. And don't forget to sign up to our newsletter, podcastjunkies.com forward slash eight tools, spelled with the number or the letter eight tools to uh, receive our weekly updates whenever an episode is available for you to check out. Uh, make sure you do that if you haven't done so already. The other call to action that I'd like to throw in there every now and then is for you to tell one person about the show. It's something that's going to be hard for me to measure quantitatively, obviously, but uh, if you do that, it'll mean a lot to me. Tell one new person this week about this fantastic show that interviews amazing podcasters uh, like the one you heard today. If you made it this far, it's no doubt your uh, eager anticipation of our retention hashtag. This week, it's going to be Aviv5D <laughs> in honor of his mention and discussion about the fifth dimension. So Aviv, A-V-I-V, five, and then letter D, and then tag him at Aviv Shahar and us at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. I'm truly appreciative day in and day out. Have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.